This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast, Confessions of a Creative Director, the only podcast on the internet made by a creative director for creative directors, for people aspiring to be creative directors, for people who despise creative directors (laughs) and want to learn about their weaknesses. I'm just kidding. Everybody loves a creative director, right? We're the most uh, lovable types at an agency, I think. But anyway... This show is for anybody who's looking to become more creative, who wants to learn a little bit more uh, about how to come up with great ideas. Uh, It's sort of a sneak peek, pulling back the curtain, as it were, of what it takes to be a creative director. On today's podcast, we have a very special guest, uh, creative director and director Vickle Parikh from Attaboy Studios, based on the uh, from the East Coast. Uh, Vickle's got a, a really interesting uh, story. Uh, he was born and raised in Mumbai. He trained to be an architect before he came to the U.S., um, got his uh, degree in computer art from Savannah College of Art and Design. He started out working as a director for MTV uh, before then heading off and doing some freelance work uh, and then founding... Um, Attaboy, which is, by the way, what a great name, right? Which uh, he talks a little bit about how he came up with that name and it being really what he was after uh, in in the business to get some Attaboys from his clients. And speaking of clients, he's worked on uh, projects for Adidas, White Castle, Ikea, GE, Burger King, Puma, HBO, the list goes on and on. Really accomplished gentlemen. So let's jump into it right now with Vickel Parikh. Hey, Vickle, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining the podcast. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to uh, talk to you. Where are you? Where are you calling from? You're in, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you're on the East Coast, right? Yeah, I'm on the East Coast. Uh, I actually live in Hoboken, across from New York City. Oh, it's in New Jersey. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I got I got confused for a second because as I was reviewing your work, I saw um, a piece, a really cool piece that you did for the L.A. Galaxy. So for a second yeah. there, I thought that maybe you were here in L.A. and I'm a huge Galaxy fan. As a matter of fact, oh, we you just, are? yeah, we just went to the game uh, on Saturday. So I was like, cool. Uh, then I saw dug dug a little deeper and saw that you were on the East Coast. But yeah, that that was a cool piece. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, we had a lot of fun doing it. It was, uh, you know, we had worked with uh, LA Galaxy a couple of years ago when they were doing these sort of short vignettes. uh, And that was just supposed to be like their YouTube content. And, uh, you know, this time um, they came around and um, it was basically just like, hey, we had a great time working with you and uh, we would 
want to do it again. So I think that's really um, work. Uh, that's really uh, what you know uh, inspired us to work with them. And uh, it's really like you know, uh, it was a very charming story, um, yeah. and it was about. Uh, this little girl that grows up to be a Galaxy fan and then, you know, gets her daughter to be a Galaxy fan was very inclusive. So it was kind of, you know, uh, all around fun. They were very, very open with the brief and we were able to just uh, roll with it. Yeah, it was really cool. Uh, I'll uh, I'll put a link in it so that people can check it out. Um, But first of all, again, thanks for joining the podcast. Um, tell me a little bit about, uh, Attaboy, which, which is, is, which by the way, I love that name. I, I use that phrase all the time and always give Attaboys, although I always wonder what I'm supposed to say. I guess it's Attagirl for, yeah. uh, for our female friends, but tell me a little bit about Attaboy. Tell me a little bit about your career path. Just give me sort of the, you know, the one minute, uh, you know, Vickle story. If you if you would, yeah, I'll I'll try to keep it uh, shorter than one. But basically, uh, you know, uh, Attaboy, we are a design-driven production company, and what that really means is that uh, for every storytelling endeavor we undertake, you know, design is a big aspect of it. So whether it is character design or live action, uh, you know, I think um, you know we go in with an eye of a designer and. Uh, that's really where we stand out, uh, you know, in terms of the filmmaking. So that's us. We work for brands, agencies, nonprofit, and, you know, media companies and everything in between uh, for, you know, content from TikTok to like movie screens or, you know, TV commercials uh, are mainly the mainstay. Uh, and uh, we've been in business for around 10 years now. And prior to that, I was uh, creative director at a, a post-production company called Red Car, which I helped. Uh, so they were sort of, you know, they had like five offices, New York, L.A., uh, Dallas, Miami, Chicago. And I think they had like Buenos Aires too at some point. But, uh, yeah, they uh, were mainly editorial shop yeah. and uh, they wanted to get into uh, this sort of design and animation and uh you know, it was a really great team of people, and uh, I worked there for seven years. I, you know, met my wife there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, and prior to that, I was art director at ad agencies, uh, you know, freelancing as post-production companies, uh, went to SCAD before that, got my master's, and, uh before that, I was I grew up in Mumbai. Um, you know, got my bachelor in architecture, and uh, that's really my story. Yeah, going backwards, the reverse timeline. I like it. I like it, and I also saw on there that 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 you were a DJ as well. What's what's that all about? Yeah, you, you know, growing up, like music had a huge influence. Uh, you know, in eighties, nineties, um, and TV had just sort of come about. Uh, you know, when we were growing up and there was not great programming. So music was a great source of entertainment. And, uh, you know, in India, uh, you always like look to the West. So I was always really into music. And then, uh, you know, during a break, I 
you know, just made friends with a DJ and he kind of took me under his wings and and I had fun doing it at first. And then, uh, you know, it sort of became my second career, like parallel to architecture, like while I was going to college and then at nights with DJ at clubs. So it was kind of a fun thing to do while, you know, you're young and uh, it's a big rave culture in uh, Goa, which uh, was kind of fun, you know, exploring DJing uh, turn of the century. So it was kind of fun. It was uh, really uh, just kind of like a, my meandering journey, creative, like music, visual, architecture, going into animation, uh, and then finally like live action yeah. direction. So. That you can really see how all those things have come together, right, in, in the work that you do. And I'm sure that you, you, you put it all together. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was just, again, doing my research on you. I saw some work that you did uh, for IKEA where you sort of yeah. recreated what looked like the New York skyline using uh, some of their furniture, right? So talk about, you know, you're bringing in that architectural vibe. I'm sure when it comes to choosing music for a piece, that's so crucial, right? So you've got that unlocked. So all these things kind of coming together to to create who you are as a, as a creative director, that's pretty cool. Yeah, they, uh, I have to tell you, I love assembling IKEA furniture, <laughs> so... Uh, I think that, you know, that kind of was a part of it. And when this project came about, uh, you know, sort of budgetarily challenged and the timeline was very challenging and they kind of wanted to, they were launching IKEA Studio, uh, which was a place in the city you could go in and, you know, get consultation outside of the IKEA store. And uh, they wanted to, you know, sort of make it very New York thing because it was, the first store was in New York. Um, And... um, the idea was to sort of recreate uh, the city skyline, the most iconic New York City skyline, without actually using the iconic buildings. Like you can't really represent any buildings because of copyright uh, issues. So, you know, we wanted to build this sort of iconic city. Uh, and, you know, I, IKEA furniture is very modular and the shapes, you know, sort of render themselves to this um, you know, sort of the skyline of New York. So we, me and with the agency, you know, the creative directors were great friends of mine. So we sort of, you know, thought of this project as a playground and we said, you know what, let's just go in and have some fun. So we kind of worked with the ninth because of the budget. We worked with like motion control to like build us on, but again, there was no money. So we found like uh, motion control, which worked, which literally worked on Windows 95 um, so, you know, that's how basic it was, but we kind of had fun. We, you know, were able to get the moves dialed in and then, uh, we kind of constructed the city and then at first and then deconstructed it and then sort of put yeah. it together. Um, in very most, cool yeah. piece. And again, I'll, I'll, uh, put a link to that so people can, can check it out. Um, but, uh, okay. So let's, let's jump into it. I always start off the uh, podcast with, with this question, which is, you know, how do you describe the role of a creative director? Or what, what is, what is the job really about in your opinion? Or, you know, how do you, how do you see it? Um, you know, I, per, and I think I've read this before or heard this before. It's really captaining a ship where you're not actively doing anything, but you're pretty much, you know, you're kind of like the cheerleader, the, 
you know, the North Star, the guiding, you know, um, and I think that's really what you have to be. You have to be shape-shifting your responsibilities, and um, you have to really make sure the team is behind you, the team, you know, clear instructions, I think, you know, those kind of things are very, very important. And I, at some point, I think you have to also let go. So, you know, once you part everything that's in, you do a brain dump to the team, and then you try to keep them on the course, but then, you know, you let them chart their own course too. Um, We know what the end goal is and how we get there. And I, every project, like that's the most interesting part. You know, how we get there is actually, like the beginning and the end are sort of predictable, um, but, you know, how we get there is the fun part. So I I really quite enjoy that journey and I quite enjoy, you know, guiding, um, you know, really enthusiastic, you know, artists, uh, designers, editors, and I, you know, I like working with them because everyone comes in with a passion, comes in with a point of view, and, uh, you know, could be different from yours. And I think you, you just have to take it in and you have to learn from, you know, everyone's experience and try to make for like a better end result or a product, as I call yeah. it. Yeah. And so just to kind of continue that, that, um, um, uh, that analogy, right. Um, you're the, you're the captain of the ship and you've kind of let go of the wheel and let the crew take it where they need to go. Right. And you know where you're heading, you see the Island of where you need to go and you're feeling like, Oh man, we're, we're not, we're not, uh, we're not on, on course. Right. When, at what point do you go back in and like re retake, control of the wheel so to speak i'm just curious like because i love that analogy yeah. right it's like you're you let them steer the course and you got to kind of back off but at a certain point you know and maybe they're maybe they're just taking a, a different route to get to the same place but yeah. you know so what, what do you think about that um i mean what you know if they're going against the wind then that's really where you say you turn around but uh I think having a faith in your team is yeah. very important, you know, and when uh, the people you work with, uh, the people you choose to work with, uh, you know, you kind of, you did that for a reason. So you're, you know, sort of keep that faith and make sure that, uh, you know, remind yourself why you chose to work with this, you know, individual or this team. And, uh, you know, I think that always helps you, um, navigate the rough seas. But um, again, like if you see them like fighting the wind, then, you know, you're like, okay, let's let me need a course correction right. here. Um, but again, in the team, you also have project managers, you have producers, you have, you know, a lot of people that, you know, help you in that sort of, uh, you know, uh, management uh, portion of it. But creatively, I think, you know, you have to just, you know, s- sort of make sure that, okay, these are, the boundaries we are playing within, um, you know, because pretty much all the work we do is commissioned work. So there are boundaries and there are boxes, you know, we are supposed to play within. So I think, you know, when you can push it a little bit and, you know, you can always test the waters. Um, we like to do that early on in the process as well, like at the studio. You know, I think if we were to like test the water and do something against the grain, then it's better to do it early on so we can do course correction and just test the client out a little bit. Um, but, 
you know, every project comes with its own set of uh, strategy, its own, you know, set of needs and, you know, what they want to accomplish. So, um, I mean, I've always worked, I've been very, very, very lucky to always have worked with people that have never failed me. And, uh, you know, I think like that's a big part in, um, you know, the confidence that I have in my team and confidence I have in the people I work with is uh, there must be something right uh, that I'm doing and choosing the partners that I work with that, you know, we seem to kind of always uh, reach yeah. the end goal. Um, and so that's, that's kind of what Yeah, and that's something that I think that, you know, as a creative director, right, as, as you as you move further away from being a, a maker or a doer, um, you know, that's that that's often the big value that the creative director is is adding is assembling the right team. Right. It's maybe doesn't doesn't get a lot of credit because you sort of take for granted like, well, yeah, of course, this was the team that he assembled. But there's an art to that. Right. Knowing who's going to work who's going to bring the most value to it, who's going to work together well, who's going to challenge each other or whatever your criteria is. There's a, there's an art to that and a, you know, a real sort of intelligence that, that comes from that. Yeah. And I, I, you know, you always have to like shuffle the team as well, you know, to keep it fresh. Um, Even within the studio, we, you know, try to uh, shuffle our teams every now and then, uh, or every so often so that they're not, you know, uh, there's a lead and then there's the team that works with the lead uh, is different. And I think uh, that that kind of helps keep everything fresh too for people that are working. And uh, it's always the challenge is what actually brings the creativity out in people. And I feel like that's uh, like it's human nature. It's like when you're pushed, um, you know, against the wall, that's when you get most creative in getting yourself out of the wall. So it's okay to get pushed against the wall. If you always try to walk that safe path, like that's kind of the path of mediocrity. And I think that's wrong. You know, you're doing this service to your clients. You're doing this service to um, your profession, your art. Um, so it's okay to get in a corner every once in a while and, you know, um, yeah. get out of it. I, I, I liked it. There was on, on your, on the Attaboy website, there was, there's at the very front, there's like a quote that talks about sort of being technique agnostic, um, you, right? And, and that yeah. you sort of let the um, let the problem sort of guide you. So, with that in mind, how, how tell us a little bit about your your personal creative process, or maybe even the process if there's sort of a standard house process that you have at a boy, or just tell me a little bit about how you get to solutions creatively. Um, that you know that. So that technique agnostic thing, I think it's just the way my brains work. And, you know, as a studio too, uh, we get bored very easily uh, doing the same thing. So we can't say like we have a studio style, that that's the kind of style that we do and this is the kind of work we do. So we try to innovate and uh, try to keep it fresh. So at the onset of every project, we sort of always challenge what's being asked of us. So if they say like, hey, we have a 3D project, um, you know, and we want to do this CG characters and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you're like, wait, why can't we make puppets and do this? You know, Um, so we always seem to like challenge that notion of why did someone think of a technique and come to us with a technique rather than a brief? And I think that's really, you know, when we try to, um, 
innovate and um, figure out what's the right course and also visually you know different techniques uh, evoke different emotions and evoke uh, you know different uh, sort of aesthetic and I you know every project sort of demands uh, their own sort of visual aesthetic uh, demands their own you know appeal and I, I, I that's why based on you know what you know we choose to sometimes to just do animation but then we're like you know what a, just a black and white animation would be great like we don't need color and you know we choose to do that and we've done that on you know a few instances uh and it's the same with um you know just choosing to shoot everything in camera uh this piece we did for ge where you to build like a paper city and we say you know what, let's just do it a single take and let's just go for it. Like we'll do, you know, we'll get to do like seven takes, but let's just try and nail it in single take. And, you know, I think we did. So there was a lot of, you know, previs and everything like into the work that goes into it. But then the excitement you get out of it when you get six clean takes, you're like, great, this was awesome. We have something to pick and choose from. Um, and I think, yeah, that's, that excitement is what, you know, drives you to that finish line. And uh, you have to keep it fresh. So that's, uh, you know, kind of our studio mentality is that we try to, you know, challenge ourselves, challenge our partners, um, and try to look at things. So when it comes to um, when it comes to that brief or sort of what you illustrated there, where somebody, a client, or somebody might come to you and say, "Well, it's a three D piece, right?" How do you I'm just curious, how do you push back on that? Or how do you say, you know, well, it could be a 3D piece or we could do puppets, like you just said. Is it, are you, yeah. um, I'm always curious on delivery, right? Are you Are you saying, well, here's kind of what it could look like if we went down the 3D route and that's great. But if we went down this route, man, we could really do something. Do you present options or do you just say, this is the way we should do it? Uh, well, I mean, this is commercial art, so you can never say right. this is the way you do it. Uh, but, you know, we ask mm. a lot of whys. Like, why mm. do you think 2D? You know, maybe they don't know, like, you know, the budget they have. They just think, like, hey, we can only afford 2D right. animation. Like, they may not know that, you know, you could do 3D character animation. A lot of times people say, like, hey, we want to do 2D character animation, but if you have 20 of these and you're like, well, then just make a 3D character and it'd be more economical to do 20 of these rather than, you know, having to draw every frame every time. You know, the first one might be a little bit of, uh, you know, kind of front. It's kind of like front loading the project. But if you know you're doing 20, I think you'll come ahead at the end of the 20th piece. And so I think it's just that kind of mm. education uh, and you know, we really strive to call ourselves partners with people yeah. we work. Like we are not vendors. We are not, um, uh, you know, we are not just work for hire. We are really like partners. So they come to us with a creative challenge or a problem that needs to be solved. And, you know, as partners, we do what's best to make that happen. And, you know, a lot of times, we may have like really brilliant ideas, you know, like, oh, let's let's make this and let's do this. The client's like, listen, we have only X amount of dollars. And even worse is that we have only one month to get this done. 
So we start there and, you know, like, well, you want to, you know, get to the top of the Empire State Building, but you don't have time to do this. So you can't take the stairs. So what's the be next best thing? And, you know, you try to figure out, um, you know, another effective way to do it. Um, so the, pro the project budget and the timeline definitely had, are a huge factor in that sort of technique. Um, and, you know, we love working with people. Like, we really, really do. Uh, everyone at the studio kind of likes working with the people we do. And so we are really invested in our clients and in our partners and in the products, our projects we get involved in. So we try to do justice in every, you know, single way. Like, we try to maximize you know, bang for your buck. And at the end of the day, you want them to turn around and give us an ad yeah. boy. And is that, so just to kind of go back to that, is that the reason, is that the impetus for the name? That's what you're after is you're after attaboys. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of like, I, you know, when I was working in this industry for, you know, a decade and when I decided to start a company and, uh, you know, it's like naming, like, what is this company about? Like, you know, and, you're coming from post-production a little bit. Like I was always about like the experience, like what kind of experience the client has at the end of it. And, you know, repeat clientele is the sort of the best client, like as long as they're not abusive, like, you know, you're not spending uh, marketing dollars or sales dollars and, um, you know, you're sort of developing this bond and friendship and eventually a shorthand um, to work with them. So, um, you're like, yeah, at the end of the day, you just walk them and, you know, want, want them to walk out the door saying, attaboy, you guys did it. And I think that's, there's, you know, that just seemed like a great name to, uh, you know, uh, an ideology. Yeah. Like, I love that. I love that. Um, what, what is, what yeah. is something, so uh, you, I'm, I'm writing this book based on, you know, the podcast and what I'm hearing from other creative directors. And one section that I realized I was missing was, about what 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 do you dislike about being a creative director? What is it? What is the you know? Is there a certain thing that you don't like about it about this role? Yeah, I think it's you know a lot of times you have to be the bearer of bad news for your team and for your clients, or you know, or sometimes both. Um, and I think that's kind of the suckiest part of the job, to be honest. Um, you know, you kind of on. A human level, you understand sentiments, you understand enthusiasm, and but you also understand the business side of it. You, and so you kind of have to sort of do a gut check at that point. And, you know, you do disappoint people. And, I, you know, I'm fully aware of that. Um, you know, whether they say it or no, I think, you know, you know it. Like when someone comes with an intention for a project and, you know, you kind of have to say no say not this time. And I think that's a huge disappointment um, because I do think like a lot of people, you know, especially the talent or the caliber of the talent we work with, you know, when they say something like there's a big thought process that has gone into it. And if the word is yes, then they have a plan ready to go. So it's like that investment of time and, you're dreaming up something for someone else, you know, um, and just for someone to come and say, yeah, no, not this time. I think that's, 
that's the most disappointing part or like not red blue why i don't know you asked me and that's my preference and now i said blue so you are not going to go with red unfortunately so you know i think like that that sort of hierarchy is kind of a little bit of a, you know sort of takes you away from the team in a sort of way they look at you differently so you can't really be in the ball pit with them you know um, but at the same time every team needs a leader every you know um, ship needs a captain uh, every car needs a driver so you know if you are in that position, then you just have to play the role. Yeah, and that that's a curious dynamic that a particularly different dynamic that you're in because you're one of the one of the founders of Attaboy. Is that right? Are there uh, are there others, or is it just you? Or uh, I'm the founder, and it's my wife that encouraged me to uh, do this. So, so that's you yeah. know because it kind of puts you in a different. So not only are you the creative director, but you're also on any given project. But then you're also sort of the owner of the shop. So I, that that must change the dynamic yeah. a little bit. Have you found a way to sort of kind of remove that? Because it could cause, I imagine, it could cause some, you know, where they're trying to just appease you, or they're trying to impress you, or and maybe not focus on the work. Does that come into yeah. play at all? And how do you deal with that? Well, I think it was more about the level of comfort working with the team. So listen, I'm, I'm a very easygoing guy. I would think so, but you know, when it comes to work, um, but um, you know, a lot of times I do have strong opinions and, you know, I do have, uh, you know, certain way I would like, things to go and you know that's kind of a non-negotiable factor but everything around it like if you tell me like hey i don't like this decision you made like i prefer like version one versus version one a you know if you're the lead on the team i'm like yeah go for it i don't care you know like it's not that i care i fully trust your judgment these are creative differences and there's no right or wrong so i was like okay then go with this if i have strong opinion or reason why you know, version one is, you know, the preferred route to go, then I will speak up. But if it's just, there's really put ego at the door when you walk into Attaboy is what we say, you know, we just come in. So yes, there, you know, we, I try to like take myself out and, you know, kind of let the team leads or the directors, you know, go with it. And then uh, I'm always there if they have questions, if they have any need along the way, like I'm always there. And, you know, we try to do a separate one-on-one, uh, you know, where it's not sort of the town hall. It's just like working with the project leads and seeing where the project is or if they have any questions, concerns. Um, but, you know, thankfully the team I've been working with, we've been working together for yeah. a very long time. And, uh, you know, I think we have that sort of... Uh, understanding that there are certain things they know about me like yeah this he's just not going to give up so let's just you know this is what the way it's going to be and there are certain things they know like hey listen we feel very strongly about this um how strongly do you feel about it and you know then that's yeah that's great so it sounds like you've really created a kind of a safe environment for people to push back on on you or to or to challenge a little bit so that's that sounds uh like the mark of a, a good leader. Yeah, that's the, yeah, yeah. That's the that's that's yeah. really the idea. Um, so, what advice would you give to somebody that is about to enter 
this this role, right? And, and this is one of the reasons why I started this this podcast and why I'm even writing this book is because I think there's no nobody ever really tells you like this is kind of what you're going to deal with as a creative director. So what what advice would you give somebody that's getting into this role? Boy, um, you know, I would say uh, brace yourself and, uh, you know, really be a leader. Like, you know, learn. Like you, you, up until this point, I think to get to this position, like you might have been a great designer, you might have been a great animator, a great artist, but now you have to learn to be a leader. And, you know, if you have to like, I don't know, read books or listen to your <laughs> podcast, uh, you know, do it. Uh, I think um, it really helps. And uh, looking at other great leaders, like just not only in the creative field, but also otherwise, like whether political leaders or, you know, I think every, you'll find this sort of underlying thread and or a path that you can sort of embrace and then just walk that path, you know, and uh, really unwavering, uh, sort of sense of commitment towards each project uh, is an absolute necessity because that's what bleeds onto your team. And, uh, you know, you're not here for the paycheck because, uh, you know, you're kind of here yeah. for your passion. And uh, you, you're a creative director because you are good at something. Someone thinks you're good at something. You think you're good at something. So, you know, I think yeah. to stand by that. That's great. That's great advice. What What do you think? Um, you know, the future of 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 the industry, our industry, what specifically what you do? What What's that look like? What are the What are the greatest challenges that you think uh, we're facing? Uh, so first, I'm like really optimistic and very excited with where our industry is headed. Uh, it's become very democratic. It's you know. Um, like equipment is not a bar, like price is not a bar. Anyone can just get a, you know, MacBook and just get working on it. So like $3,000 is your sort of entry point, which, you know, I think in this day and age should be, a, you know, you put on a credit card and get working. And, you know, with if you get good at it, yeah, it's very easy to get by with. Uh, but like this evolution of technology, uh that's what scares me uh, in a way where I don't know if how, f how far and how long mm -hmm. you can keep up with it because technology mm -hmm. and design are really now like challenging each other at every point. You know, I think there are certain things where design takes a lead and then technology catches up and then, you know, then, you know, passes by and then design has to catch up to that technology. So I think, you know, that that really sort of back and forth is the exciting part. But then as a human being, like, you know, you can do round one of that, round two of that. And if it's like five years apart, that's great because you've already, you know, sort of perfected that art. But if things are changing like every year, like if you have Web 3 now, like Web 4, you know, like if things like will start like and then, you know, how many times you can sort of reinvent yourself or, you know, keep on connecting to your audiences, which especially what we do is very important, right? You have to understand your audience when you're creating uh, content or a piece of marketing. Um, you have to know what the audience will like or not like. And uh, there's certain things that will never change, like, you know, rules of filmmaking will never change. 
you know, the principles of animation and composition will never change. But, uh, you know, we were used to like a square screen and from a square to a 16 by 9 took like three decades. From 16 by 9 to 916 took half that time. And, you know, now it's like square. So you don't know what's going to happen. You know, you see like the time sort of crunching. Uh, and now it might even be like even smaller with like VR headsets where it's like 360 and the cameras are low res. So it's not like about super detail anymore. It's kind of. So, yeah, that's very game changing. And that like definitely concerns me where uh, it's like first to the market and you don't get the chance mm. to perfect it. Um, and my training in architecture, I think, is sort of a little bit of a hindrance where you know, you have like masters of architecture or like, you know, people that didn't bloom until they were 65 years old. And then, you know, they took 65 years and in the next like 15 years, they accomplished like crazy amounts of stuff where they're like masters and you don't have that time anymore. You kind of have to like move really, really fast. Uh, Tell me if you can elaborate a little bit more on, on what you mean by this race between technology and um technology and what was the other uh yes and design Design. tell tell me explain a little bit more of what you mean by that or if you have an example uh i mean you know you just take email for example you know like you'd have you had this email interface uh if you remember like hotmail i think technology came first right and then you're like all right screen design looks shitty like, let's design it. And then design followed. And then it was, like, super slick. And then you're like, wait, we can do so many more things, but now technology is lagging. So then eventually technology catches up. And then you're like, oh, you can't only email. You can even, like, message and FaceTime and, you know, all in the same browser window. Now how do you design that? Like, now the screen's too cluttered. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, you yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like, so they're, like, challenging each other. And uh, I think that that's the exciting part, right? Like one is pushing the other. And I think that's how you, you know, get on Mars. But, uh, you know, that being said, you also have to kind of constantly evolve yourself and your uh, evolve your skill set and, you know, try to understand what's going on. And, you know, I don't know, like I think... um, there there's a human human brain has like a little bit of limitations there i think after a certain point uh you just stop uh, evolving and i think you just stay in a state of denial or just like oh this is yeah yeah you know what i'm saying like i think like it's just it's the same with music too like you know my i stopped listening to new music you know in my 30s like you know i know what's going on but then like i don't i cannot connect to that so then i'm just stuck with old records and you know and uh but that's really what it is like you were like okay i absorbed all this for the first 30 years of my life now my brain is full of this and i just want to there's no <laughs> more room for new stuff unless i get some old stuff so. so kind of just going in diving into this a little bit deeper so how do you feel about you know storytelling in some ways really getting compressed right in, in terms of time right where i mean quibi was was failed right but that w- that probably failed for a number of other reasons do do you do you 
like? Are you okay with that kind of compression of everything's got to be faster, quicker, get to the, you know, what what are your thoughts on that? I mean, there's still long form content, but. Well, that, that actually, that's like another example of like technology and design. You know, you were doing 30 second commercials, then you were like, let's do 60 seconds. Like those are the anthem spots. You know, how do you tell a story in like 60? Are you more breathing time? Uh, and then they started doing like branded documentaries, which were kind of like glorified commercials for like two minutes long. And then you're like, now we're doing only six seconds. Right. And you have to tell the same story. Right. And you know, so um, to me, like every problem can be solved by design. Um, and uh, I actually quite like the visual aesthetic of 9 by the vertical format. I think it's, yeah, I do like the aesthetic. Um, and uh, I think maybe it is also like, you know, using the phone a little too much and getting used to that screen. But uh yeah, I I think uh, graphically it's a pretty interesting uh, you know layout to look at stuff. Um, so, but the short form like time frame I think has its own constraints, and uh, you just don't get that much breathing time. So everything has to be served really fast. And when you're serving things really fast, you can't be as detailed. Or if you're detailed, they're not noticed. Um, so the craftsmanship is compromised. And I think that's where I have a problem. I don't have a problem with telling a story in six seconds, but I have a story in the craft that should be compromised because you know, if someone's like paying for a six-second spot, they're not that invested in it. But if someone's paying for a 60-second spot on TV, like they are financially more invested in it and there was a plan behind it and there were more stakeholders and now there's social media content. I like to yeah. call it disposable content. Like it's basically you know on there and it's gone. So that's why that sort of craftsmanship is, you know, um, lost a little bit. But um, I think you just have to adapt to um, what the new, like I said, like you have to evolve yourself and um, sort of apply your old uh, principles to new ways of communication. Yeah. All right. On that note, let's take a quick break and we'll be back with more from Vikal Parikh. All right, and we're back with more from Vickle Parikh. So, what? Where do you draw inspiration from? What's uh, What's inspiring you right now? Are you a big book guy, podcast guy? You know, where do you? It sounds like you're obviously with your DJ background, and, and you, you just described your love of music. Maybe that's where you draw inspiration. But just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, architecture has been still a huge influence on my uh, creativity. So that really, you know, inspires me. Like architectural magazines and uh, just looking at online um, you know just conceptual art like that really uh, inspires me um, you know other than that like this NFT space like where uh, the art is taking off I, I I don't know what to think of it uh, you know I know why it exists I understand why it exists but I don't know creatively like I feel like that's really not pushing the envelope enough. I think it will evolve and then, or rather mature. But it's kind of interesting uh, to see what aesthetic uh, is appealing to this sort of newer crowd. Like, it's not like really retro, but it's kind of like crude, like 1990s Photoshop, you know? And yeah. you're like, okay, they, I 
you know, I did this when I was bad at Photoshop. And, yeah. and, you know, so I think it's a little bit of that. So you try to use your graphic design skill in, um, you know, and come up with a similar aesthetic. And I think that's sort of... Um, connects you to the new generation but at the same time you know uh, makes you sleep well at night that you know hey everything was perfectly balanced on screen it didn't look you know badly composed but um, it yeah so just constantly changing Uh, yeah other than that I think just you know online blogs and uh, just um, looking at uh, young kids like they're fascinating you know like I said because the the level of entry it's so easy uh, these kids are doing some fascinating stuff that you know took us like years and years and years to do uh, but with technology now it's possible so that that really inspires me and you know I can imagine like what you know when we started working like what people would look at like old VFX films like Jaws and be like oh that was great VFX and you're like yeah that was kind of shitty but whatever and I, I'm hoping that you know, by the time, like, I have, you know, grandkids or whatever, like, I'll be looking back and be like, oh, my God, you guys are doing some crazy stuff. Yeah, that's that's cool. Um, when when you – tell me a, a few of the blogs and things that, that you like to go to because I'd be, that, that would be interesting for the audience to kind of see where you poke around on the Internet. Uh, are there some that you your go tos? I I don't really have any like particularly go tos. I think it's sort of like the email digest uh, that I subscribe. Like motionographer, you know, definitely is one. Like uh, I do check out like Behance quite a bit. I think that they do a pretty good job of serving like new artists. So, um, but you know, other than that, um, here's the interesting thing: as directors, like we have to do a lot of treatments, right? And then we have, like yeah. Google a uh, whole ton of stuff. So while we are doing treatment, I think that's really uh, when I discovered the most stuff. It's, like it's yeah. not the regular day-to-day where I'm like sitting and like I'm looking for inspiration. It's just like when I'm doing treatments and looking for stuff, it's like a wormhole and you're like lost because you were you know, looking for A and then you land, land up somewhere else and you're like, shit, this is due tomorrow. <laughs> where am I? <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so, if you weren't doing this this type of work, um, you know what what would you what would you want to be doing? I think I have a good idea of what your answer yeah. is. But. Yeah, I think like either architecture or still, you know, playing music. Yeah. Hey, I'm sure. Do you do any of that uh, on the side, or you know, just I for do. fun? I for fun. Yeah, I, I taught my four year old how to. He's learning how to DJ. So. Uh, I think, you know, we have a good time. Uh, you know, a friend of mine back from India, he um, gifted me uh, like an electronic, like CDJ, just uh, as a joke, as a throwback, uh, you know, for my birthday. And uh, it was sitting down and one day I was like, oh, let's just, you know, plug it on, see what's going on. And my four-year-old like, you know, instantly took to it. And uh, like puts on those headphones and I'm like, you know, slowly, steadily teaching him how to, you know, do stuff. So yeah, that's, that's kind of, that's the extent of what I'm doing in terms of DJ. That's cool. And the architecture, maybe you're building Lego or something or doing, or, uh, yeah. yeah. Does that come into yeah, play? It's kind of that, like basically architecture, I incorporate a lot of that in my work. So I think that part I really don't miss as much because, uh, 
you know, I get to explore the visual side of it and the foundation. Um, and then, you know, just like look at magazines and be like, ooh, it would be cool to visit that place uh, when you're stuck here for like past couple of years. So uh, what's the greatest lesson that you've learned from a, from a mentor? Uh, you know, being a team leader uh, is one of very important leadership lessons that was you're the greatest strength and the weakness of your team. So, you know, you kind of, and this was, I think, particularly in my early days when I started like leading a team and, uh, you know, there were, I was disappointed with myself in, you know, a couple of projects and I was like, shit, we could have done better or we could have done it differently. And, you know, I kind of let my emotions, um, sort of come to the surface and uh, my team kind of felt it. And I think that was the, you know, like a turning point in, you know, how the team kind of perceived. Uh, so, yeah, my mentor at the time, who um, was also the managing director of the company, you know, kind of said, you know, it's kind of lonely at the top. So you are all, people look up to you, but they also, you know, you are also the weak link. So you kind of have to make sure you're there, you're like a rock for them and you kind of have to be that. So just to, just so I'm, I'm clear, the strength part, I, I understand, but so just kind of give me a little bit more of what the weakness part means that you're the weakness of the team. What, what is that? So it's, if you're like indecisive, if you, mm -hmm. uh, you know, don't follow the brief, you can lead the team astray. Um, uh, if you mismanage the project, you can, the lead the team astray like if you assemble a wrong team it's your fault you're the weakness like you screwed it up get going into it so got it so i think that's something that you sort of rests on your shoulder got it that makes total sense okay all right well we've come to that point in the show where where it's time to for you to uh get your creative director confession off your chest is there something that you want to confess to uh the world it's uh now's the time to do it <laughs> uh, well, um, i think i wrote something um i actually in all honesty uh i don't know if you want to put it i haven't slept all night so um i'm a little uh hazy but um, <laughs> yeah. you mean oh i thought when, when i saw that and because you know we we get we do sort of a, a pre yeah pre-list yeah. here of, of some ideas to talk about but when i read that i thought you meant like you know where people say oh i'm a new dad or i've you know i've got small kids i haven't slept yeah. i thought you meant to sort of figuratively but, you literally have not slept tonight I, slept. that was my confession to you you know i was like i haven't slept all night is that just because you've got so many things going on i know yeah we had a, we had this week like started off like pretty harsh like it basically monday came and it was bang and we had to get a bunch of treatments and a bunch of, uh, you know, assignments out uh, by uh, Wednesday. And, you know, with three kids, like there was this little COVID situation. So I lost a few hours throughout the yeah. day. So I kind of had to like make it all up. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, that's really what it is, is that you kind of have to find time. Like you can't yeah. find time during the day. You find it at night, but you kind of have to do it. So let me ask you this: How often, how often does that happen? Is it is it pretty fairly normal for you, or is it more the you know an exception to the rule? Or 
So all nighters don't happen. I just I don't think physically I can take it anymore. Um, you know, but uh, I mean, I, you know, pretty much every night, like I'm back at work at ten. Yeah. So like ten to eleven thirty, twelve is like some catch up time. Um, you know, whether it is like business related or yeah. it is uh, you know project related. Uh, but there's definitely after dinner is not like, okay, I'm going to sit back, turn on Netflix and enjoy like that very rarely happens. Yeah. All right. Well, Hey, even, even more thanks to you for, for making the time to uh, join the podcast. I didn't realize that you had, you had been up all night. So thank you. And you were, you were great. I didn't notice any haziness at all. So you, you're a, you're a true professional. Yeah, I, I, no, I, uh, I was when I was mess- messaging with you, you know, I like most of these podcasts have like a pre, you know, record and then we talk about stuff like where the show goes and then it's like the, and this came about like pretty fast. I was like, oh, wait, so it's tomorrow. And, you know, but uh, it's all good. It was really fun talking to you, actually. Yeah. And, you know, I did knock out pretty much most of my day last night. So I took a little nap and, you know, I'm, I'm OK. All right. Well, good. Uh, Vickle's been a pleasure. I uh, hopefully maybe sometime you'll come down to LA. We'll we'll hit a hit up a Galaxy game. We'll drive over to IKEA, which is right next to the stadium. <laughs> build build some furniture and and just and just go nuts and and have a good time. Yes. But uh, yeah, really, I really appreciate it. Thank you for sharing uh, your you know your your wisdom and your knowledge and uh, great really great work. I really you know in the few just the few pieces that I saw, just some really incredible work. Thank you. Thank you, Amy, for having me. It was really good chatting. Absolutely. All right. We'll talk soon. Take care. And there you have it, folks. Another episode of Confessions of a Creative Director in the books. My thanks to special guest Vickle Parikh from Attaboy Studios. Thanks for being on the podcast. Hopefully he got a little bit of uh, sleep after that. Didn't realize that he had been up all night. Well, that's going to do it for us. Uh, remember, folks, subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends about it, leave us a review. That's the best way to, uh, you know, get some more folks listening and build the audience for this year. So please do us a favor and subscribe today. Until next time, it's Jaime wishing you peace and creativity. Go.